Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Tonight, hey, we're going to continue in a series, so grab your copy of God's Word, go to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Um, we began a series last week called Everybody's Leading Somebody. And uh, hopefully this week, you, you've, maybe when I first said that, you thought, I don't know if that's true about me. Am I really leading somebody? But I hope this week it kind of stuck with you a little bit and you chewed on a little bit and you thought, you know what, I am. I am out there in some way, in some form, in some fashion leading someone because last week we defined leadership merely as influence. And so we influence, as we said last week, in a lot of different ways, all right? Good leaders, we said last week, understand leadership is influence. And as we said last week, it's not just that you influence, but it, the question is, how are you influencing? Where are you influencing people to? Where are you taking them? Are you taking them to somewhere good? Are you taking them to somewhere godly? Are you taking, or, or are you taking them away from God? But since leadership is influence, here's the question that I'm asking in my mind then. Who is influencing the influencer? In other words, who is leading the leader? Every leader. Doesn't matter who it is. You go back in history, they're all going to tell you somebody that shaped them and molded them. And check out this picture right here of this, of this sweet older lady. You can see here with our governor. One more there. There we go. And so think about right here. Um, our governor, Andy Bashir, he stated back in May that this lady right here is one of the biggest influences in his life. All right, one of the biggest influences in his life. That's Rita Grace Ridley. And um, she was Andy's caretaker um, when his dad was the lieutenant governor back in the 1980s. All right. And she actually passed away back in January um, of last year at the age of 99 years old. And so she was at his inauguration and, and all those things. But Governor Bashir here in, in May, he said this about her. He said, other than my parents and grandparents, she had the greatest influence in my life. She was my second mother for a number of years. So Governor Bashir listed his parents, his grandparents, and then the second mother, Rita Ridley as his greatest influencers, the ones who would lead this future leader. So as you think about your life for a moment here, I just let's brainstorm for a moment and just think this through. Who are some of the folks that you would say have been most influential in molding and shaping you to be the person you are today, being the leader that you are today? Who are some of the people that you would say? Anybody want to throw some names out there? Okay, how many brothers you got? Two. two brothers. Are they both older? All right, five and seven years older, huh? Awesome. Yeah, so brothers, man, brothers do have a big influence on your life. Whether you're young or whether you're old, uh, the older or the younger, it goes both ways a lot of times, and so, but certainly big brothers can do that. Who else would you say? Well, what was that last part? Okay, Luella Freswick. English teacher at school. 
Great. What grade? Uh, that was grade 10. Grade 10. Awesome. Yeah, and why was she so influential in your life, Shannon? Yeah, that's great. Very good. Sounds like the kid's having a blast in there. <laughs> kind of shook me for a moment there. All right. <laughs> so uh, who else would you guys say? Anybody want to throw any more out there? Yeah, pastors. Yeah, over the course, um, over the course of the years, pastors do have an influence, and, and that's our... You know, that's what we hope that is the case, and so we're thankful to be able to do that and, and to really be there for folks in their greatest times of need oftentimes, and also to be examples as best as we can be, and so, um, so yeah, definitely, pastors. Anybody else you guys would throw out there tonight? Yeah. Absolutely. How many of y'all say my mama, right? Amen, man. Mamas are awesome. Daddies too, but especially mamas, right? Uh, it's just something about mamas. You know. That's awesome, yeah. And so, you know, if you think about all the gifts that God has given you, it's those people who, who, who influenced you, right, that made you the person that you are today. Well, as we look at the book of Proverbs tonight, we're going to come to a second principle for good leadership. And here's tonight's truth that I want us to focus on, and it's this. Good leaders are led by God. All right, that's what we want, right? A godly leader. Now, let's just be real for a moment. We will not see that perfectly happen until Jesus comes back, right? None of us are perfect leaders. None of us rise up to the standard that, of God, okay? But nevertheless, we want to be influenced. We want to be led. If you're going to be the best leader that you can be, then you first need to be a follower of God. Good leaders are led by God. And that's what we learn here in Proverbs chapter 2, okay? So we're going to look at the entire chapter tonight. And that's kind of strange for the book of Proverbs because Proverbs are pithy, they're short, they're kind of like over here. It's kind of like chasing, um, you know, chasing a, a flock of birds sometimes or a, or a whole, I don't know. What, what do you call a bunch of rabbits, Channon? Yeah, a bunch of rabbits. What do you call them? Gene? They don't even have a warren? There you go. So a warren of rabbits. <laughs> you know, just rabbits going everywhere. Sometimes the Proverbs feels like that because it's kind of just scattered, it feels like. But here in chapter 2, in chapter 2, it's like one thought, one whole chapter, all right, as far as that goes. We were talking this morning in our South Campus team meeting. Um, you know, Will was talking about... Uh, he, he used the word gaggle, a gaggle of something, and he was talking about the, the, the teenage girls. And uh, he said, isn't a gaggle what you call turkeys? And we said, well, no, that's what you call a geese. And I said, but teenage girls, you can call them a giggle, right? A giggle of teenage girls, all right? So, so there we go. All right, so, all right, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. So let's do this. Let, let's break this apart here into, um, into some sections here, okay? So who would read for us? Um, who would read for us verses one through seven? Who would read that? Anybody? Thank you, Danny. Then who would take eight through fifteen? Eight through fifteen. Who would read that for us tonight? Eight through fifteen. Eight through fifteen. Anybody? Anybody? Right there, Kelsey. Thank you. And then uh, Will, would you finish up then with uh, sixteen 
through 22. So let's see what the Word of God says here. Read it loud and read it, read it proud. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And there's a, obviously 22 verses here, Lord. But all of them come together and help us to see that we should be led by you. If we want to be the best leaders we can be, that we need to be led by you. We need to be first followers of God. So help us to do that tonight. God, would you mold and make us into what you would have us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So good leaders are led by God, but what does that look like? All right. Well, it means at least three actions here as we look at Proverbs chapter 2. And the first one is this, is that you recognize God is greater than you. Can I get an amen? Right? Amen. God is greater than you. All right. You can see it there all the way down through verse 7 there. He's leading up to it. He's leading up to it. But then we get particularly there to verse 5 there, and he says, you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now think about that for a moment. We are so in our day prone to focus on the imminence and the closeness of God, the, the, um, the, 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 the aspects where God is for us and, and, and with us and all those things, and that's awesome. But we should never forget the transcendence of God. We should never forget the fact that God is awesome in the, in the, in the real sense of the word, right? You know, back in the old days, the, the, the word wasn't awesome. It was all full, right? And, and that's sort of how we, back in the days, that's how they would, they would, um, they would use the word. Today, when we say awful, we say it's, it's terrible, right? That's what awful means today. But back in the old days, awful meant that I was full of awe. And that's what God is. When uh, I think about it in just all throughout the Bible, when God shows up, people freak out because God is so other than us. He is greater than us. And it's right to fear him, not a trembling, uh, cowering, like he's a tyrant or anything, but a, a holy fear, a respect for God. And so that's really important. He is greater than us. And you'll find knowledge, it says there in verse 5. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. And he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Now here in, in, in the book of Proverbs, particularly here in chapter 2, we have a leader who's trying to influence his child. Notice he says, my son. So whether you know, it's his actual child or his spiritual child, or he's just sort of speaking in general to kind of like the upcoming generation, whatever it is, he wants his son to receive his words and heed his commandments. But we clearly see there that this father is not calling the son to himself. Right? He's not saying, listen to my wisdom, although he says, listen to my words. He's basically saying, my words are God's words. He's calling them to God. And so guys, as you lead in this life, the question to you is, are you pointing those that you're trying to influence to the one who's greater than you? One of the worst things we can do as a leader is bring people to ourselves without pointing them to God, right? He's the one that we should be pointing people toward, right? We're just vessels, we're just servants and all those things. And so the Father had found wisdom and knowledge in God. He had come to realize that God was greater than he is. So as you tried to lead others, right, you and I in that moment, right, nothing make us, makes us realize how weak we are when we try to lead other people sometimes. It's in those moments that, that we see our, our knowledge is so limited. 
our being is so limited. We can only be in one place at one time, right? I know you mamas try to be in five places at once. You see, that, dads actually have the spiritual gift of being satisfied in one place. <laughs> Isn't that right? Hey, yeah. And some of you women are like, yeah, I know that. That's, what I'm, that's the problem, all right? Um, but we're so limited in our being. We're so limited in our power. How many times have you said to yourself, man, I wish I could just make that happen? You want something so badly for somebody else, especially those people you're trying to lead. You want it so badly. If you could just take them by the hand and they would do just what you said they should do, how much easier their life would be. But that's not how it works. Our power is so limited. But God is other than us. He's different from us. Where we're weak, he's what, church? Strong. He sees what we can never see. And that's one of the problems for us, right? Oftentimes, we're tempted to judge God because he doesn't do what we think he ought to do. Yet we know, if you've been reading along with us in our Old Testament reading, um, you know, um, a part of the Bible reading group on Facebook that I have, you know, we, we read through Job, and um, Job didn't see the big picture, right? His, his view was so limited and so focused, and then there you get to the end, and God bursts on the scene, and all of a sudden, Job's like, I understand now. And he basically says, Job, you don't have a clue. You don't have any idea of the power and the wisdom and the knowledge and the, all the things that I have. God can see what we can never see ourselves, right? He knows what we can never know ourselves. He does what we can never do ourselves. We know one of the coolest passages talking about this is, is in the book of Romans. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Romans 11, 33 through 36. And here's what it says. And... and this comes, now think about this for a moment, Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11 are four of the most confounding chapters in all of the Bible. It takes human wisdom and flips it. And you look at it and go, what? But then it finishes up that section and says this. Romans eleven thirty three. 33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And it's one of those moments, again, that's a Job moment right there, where it says, listen, God is deep in his riches of wisdom. We're shallow in comparison, right? His ways are unsearchable. His judgments, ours are questionable. His ways are inscrutable. Ours are scrutable. (laughs) You know what that means. But nevertheless, ours are scrutable if his are inscrutable. We cannot know the mind of God, right? That, that's, that's God. And we trust in Him. We rest in Him. We're so weak, but God is so mighty. And a good leader realizes that. He realizes that although he might be great compared to other people, 
God is infinitely greater. The greatest leader you can think of, get them in your mind right now, the greatest leader that you can think of. Who are some of the greatest leaders in, the, in, in, in history right now? Throw them out there. Who are they? Napoleon. George Washington. Abraham Lincoln. Bill Belichick. <laughs> Somebody like, no, no, not Bill Belichick. Right, we could go on and on with names. John Calipari. No, you know, we just come on all sorts. But guys, the truth of the matter is, the greatest leader you can think of pales in comparison to God. His ways are perfect. His ways are perfect. We're, we're so weak compared to God. And he knows, a good leader does, or she knows, that she would be a fool or he would be a fool to ignore God's leadership in their life because God's greater. My son, Elijah, he's, he's 12 years old. And uh, in, his, uh, in his challenge uh, co-op that he's in, uh, they're currently doing science projects. I never heard of this. You, you, got, you teachers have probably heard of this before. But apparently peppermint helps with something. Have you heard this before? Is this a teacher thing? That peppermint like helps reaction time and helps recall. and uh, Not in music, yeah. It, it makes your breath better though, right? It soothes your voice. <laughs> peppermint. Congestion? Oh, digestion. Okay, yeah. So, so his, his project is... Um, He's going he's gonna to test reaction time with peppermint and without peppermint. And so he's, he's running the tests and pushing buttons and all this stuff and popping peppermints and all this stuff, all right? So, you know, I don't know how much science is behind it, right? And that's, that, let's be honest, science is not always, uh, you know, it's not always, you're not always saying, yes, this is true. It's also saying, well, it didn't make a difference in the world, right? That's part of science, right? Um, but just imagine if Albert Einstein was sitting next to Elijah and was willing to help him with the science project. <laughs> Elijah would be foolish to say, nah, I got this, Al. Don't, hey, thanks, but no thanks, right? That'd be crazy. Here's said the world's greatest scientist ever, perhaps. So wise people recognize that those who are greater than they are, uh, when, when people are greater than they are, and, and they turn to them for help, all right? So, that's what good leaders do. That's what wise people do. That's what good leaders do. And listen, y'all, there's no greater helper. There's no one greater than God. And so if you want to be a good leader, if you want to be the best leader you can be, then you need to recognize that God is greater than you, as it says here in our text. It points us to that truth. But that leads us to the second action here of leaders who are led by God. They earnestly seek to know God's wisdom. It's not enough to say, yeah, man, he's got it. You've got to follow up on that and say, I want to get it. If he'll give it to me, I want it. I love all the verbs here in verses 1 through and 4. Uh, 1 through 4. Uh, receive my words. Uh, just listen to the vividness. This is one of the reasons why I love Proverbs, and obviously these are written uh, poetically, Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry, uh, poetry, by the way, does not rhyme like we think of rhyme, when in, in our poetry, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you, right? We think of things like that. Hebrew poetry is more uh, parallelisms, rhyming ideas in one sense, parallel ideas. And so you see that all throughout here. 
Um, but notice here the vividness of the language here. Receive my words, treasure up my commandments, make your ear attentive, incline your heart to understanding, call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding, seek it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasure. So vivid. That's one of the reasons why I love these. But let's think about those actions for just a moment when you earnestly seek to know God's wisdom. First, they receive my words. Think about it in this way, right? When you receive something, right? You know, we think of a gift, right? I'm going to receive a gift. We treat God's wisdom as a gift given to us. So let's just be real. He doesn't have to tell us anything. He does not have to tell us anything. But God, in His goodness, shares wisdom and knowledge with us. And so we're to treat it like a gift. We're to receive it. We would be crazy to reject it. But then he says, treasure up my commandments. So it's not just a gift, it's a precious gift. Like a precious treasure. Make your ear attentive, he says. Give them, in other words, give the wisdom, give God your full attention. Listen to him. But then he doesn't just mention the ears, he mentions the heart. Incline your heart to understanding. Don't just hear it, love it. Love it. Now in life... Think about you as you've come to know God. And there may be someone here tonight who doesn't know God. Right now, the thought of God um, does not sound sweet to you. Right now, you know, it, it, it's, it's bitter. It doesn't taste good. You want to kind of spit it out. And for us, when we first come to Christ, not everything of Christ tastes good to us, does it? Right? It doesn't all. We don't love it all. But think about over the years how God has changed you and you've acquired a taste. You've acquired a love for the things of God. And I think that's what he's talking about here when he says incline your heart to understanding that you grow to love. And if, if there's anything in God's word that you say, listen, that, I, I don't like it when it says that, then our, then our prayer to God needs to be, God, help me to love it. I want to love it. Because if you've said it, it is good, and I should love it. He says, call out for insight. So this isn't passive. This isn't setting back. It's being an advocate for yourself. Raise your voice for understanding, and don't take no for an answer, right? It's like, hey, <laughs> don't forget me. And then finally here, you know, seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. You know, what would you do if I told you there was buried treasure on your property, <laughs> y'all be making a beeline right now to Equipment Depot. You'd be renting a backhoe, or you'd call Carlos. Carlos, can you come over and help me dig a hole? Right? <laughs> Carlos is an earth mover, by the way, uh, a heavy, heavy machine operator, so he, he's the go-to man on things like that. But uh, in, terms of, in terms of that, guys, I mean, you would be out there all night long. I mean, we've been movies made about this stuff, right? And you guys watch American Pickers? I love American Pickers, man. Rusty Gold and all that stuff. One of the episodes, they, they, they come into a town and somehow, I don't know how they make these contacts, but there's a legend in the town that this guy's dad got so mad one time that he decided, he got in an argument with his wife, and he decided that he was just going to go and bury his motorcycle in the backyard. He was going to show her. 
Now, I'm done with it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, it ain't, you know, you just went and buried it. That was the legend. Now, the son was in his 50s or 60s or something like that. And so he said, I, I've just heard stories about this. Well, if you know anything about the American Pickers, man, those dudes, I mean, they, they'll, they'll, they'll be all day trying to find something. Did I tell you guys I saw them one time? I was pulling out of our church at West Main down in Alexandria, Tennessee. And literally, I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm about to pull out. Well, oh, wait, no, here comes a van. I'm not going to pull out. And it was Mike and, and, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. Mike and, well, anyway, I can see his face. Frank, yeah, Mike and Frank literally drove right by in front of us. I was like, oh, my goodness. And there was a place just down the road from our church there in Alexandria that, um, that had lots of, you know, uh, old gas pumps and stuff like that. And so they hear about this legend that this motorcycle has been buried in the backyard. And you know what they do? They go get shovels. And they begin to dig in the backyard there. And they dig and they dig and night falls. And they dig some more. They had to pay the woman. You know, they had to pay the woman. They had to knock on the Because the, the son didn't even own the property anymore. May we, there's a legend, may we dig? And she's like, you know, if they show up your house with cameras, I guess you're just more prone to say, yeah, go ahead, guys. And so they, they had to go get lights and bring in and all this stuff. And they dug and they dug and they dug. And guess what? They found rusted, roached out parts of the remains of an Indian motorcycle. And they acted like they had found gold. I mean, they dug and dug and dug. And guys, listen to me. That's what we have to do with God's wisdom. I want to tell you right now, there is wisdom buried in here. Will you dig for it? Will you go for it? Listen, if, again, if I told you you had a, a million dollars buried on your property, you would dig and dig and dig. But there's something even greater than that in this. And so I want to just challenge you to earnestly see. That's what good leaders do. Good leaders who are led by God, they earnestly seek to know God's wisdom, right? But why? And God answers this for us here. That leads us to the third action tonight here as we think about leaders who are led by God. Third, they will be confident. God's wisdom will benefit and protect you. And really, that's the bulk of chapter two here, all right? Um, you know, typically, we as parents or as leaders just in general, whether it be at school or at work or wherever it is, when we tell people to do something, what do they always want to know? They want to know why, okay? And God here doesn't do that with us and say, I told, uh, because I said so. Um, look here at the, the whole chapter for a moment, just as you kind of look at it in, in your Bible there. 22 verses all together here. Two and a half verses are talking about how God is greater than us. Four of those verses about earnestly seeking after his wisdom. And then look here, check this out. Fifteen and a half verses. The bulk of this chapter tells us how God's wisdom will benefit and protect us. So the bulk of this is, is answering why. Why should I earnestly seek this thing other than just because he's greater than me? And he tells us the answer here. So, so let's look down through here at, at verses 7 uh, through 22 here. We're not going to read that again. We've already read it once. But let me just sort of summarize it. There's so much there God's wisdom will do. And it does at least five things. At least five things. It'll shield you. It'll guard your paths. 
It will deliver you from the ways of evil and wicked men who will drag you to hell with them. It will deliver you from sexual temptations that will destroy you. And fifth, it'll keep you in the land of God's favor and not have you cut off and rooted out. Those are the five things, if we were to summarize those 15 and a half verses that we would see here. You know, right? and, and, and you may say, well, Ben, I see seven. Well, yeah, the, yeah there's, a, there's a lot there. All right? We're going to focus on five, though. So first, think about this for a moment as you think of how God's wisdom will benefit you and protect you. First, he says it will shield you, basically. And you just picture that for a moment, right? That shield. Uh, I watched, um, oh, uh, Braveheart. Not that long ago, I caught Braveheart on. And man, you know, you think about that battle there where, you know, the guys from the British are, are shooting arrows over and they've got their shields up and the arrows are flying in and, and, and how those shields protected them. That's what God's wisdom will do for you because, listen, the enemy is coming at you. The enemy is slinging darts. He's slinging arrows. Um, I mean, if, if you want to go more uh, Star Wars here, right? I mean, he's shooting lasers at you. You've got to get your force field up and all that stuff, right? That's what God's wisdom will be for you. It'll be a protection for you. But not only that, it says that he will guard your paths. Now look here. Look at what it says here. Verse 8. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you'll understand, verse 9, righteousness and justice and equity Every good path. Not every path, guys, leads to goodness. A lot of paths lead to destruction, and so it's important for us to recognize God knows the ways that are good, and His paths will, will lead to, 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 to goodness, right? He, so God, God's wisdom guards our paths. Think back on the moments in your life where you rejected God's wisdom. Didn't you find yourself in a treacherous place? God's wisdom will guard your paths. Third, though, he, his, his wisdom will, will deliver you from the way of evil and wicked men who will drag you to hell with them. And you see that down here, uh, particularly here, when it says there in verse 12. Look at verse 12, kind of reading down from there. Delivering you from the way of evil and from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, and delight in the perversiveness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in all their ways. You know, I think about, you know, just when I hear that, you know, I, I immediately think about um, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. God's wisdom will keep you from that. Listen, people who are going to hell want to bring as many people with them as they can. That's how wicked works. That's how wickedness works. But if you'll follow God's wisdom, you'll be delivered from that. Not only that, it's interesting, though, how many times here in the book of Proverbs, it talks about the temptation of sexual morality. Now, oftentimes here, the adulteress is pictured as a female, and that's a cultural thing there, I'm sure, as far as that goes. But let's be honest, it's not just females. 
It's men as well, right? Ladies can be tempted just like men can, maybe in different ways, but nevertheless can be tempted. And so when we follow God's wisdom, we're delivered from sexual temptations that will destroy you. Again, going back to the Bible reading here in the Old Testament that we've been doing, um, Genesis, um, there, uh, oh goodness, what, I forget which chapter it is right now, but um, maybe around 15 or 16, 14, somewhere around there. We know well the, the story of, the, of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where there was great wickedness. Now in the text there, the primary, wick, you know, the primary wickedness that they, that they demonstrate there is the, is the desire for homosexual rape, you know, as far as that goes in that text. But it was way more than that, right? Debauchery leads to debauchery, all right? But sex itself, I mean, it's a powerful temptation, and the devil knows that. How many people do you know who have made a wreck of their marriage or made a wreck of their career or just made a wreck of themselves because they were drawn away by sexual temptation? Whether it be digital or print, as in pornography, or in another person. Right now I know a family just breaking my heart, just absolutely breaking my heart. Not in our church, but just people that I know who... Um, the husband has walked out and says, I'm going to this other woman. And they have four children. And you're going, what? No. How did that happen? Well, it happened because he didn't sit in God's wisdom. He didn't see God's wisdom as a benefit and as a protection. And so he wasn't delivered from sexual temptations that will destroy you. And they will. You, they will. But finally, keep in mind, uh, or, or keep, keep in mind that, that God's benefit and God's protection here will keep you in the land of God's favor and not have you cut off and rooted out. I was talking with a... Um, will and I met with a, with a fellow today who's, um, who's, you know, they've been visiting the church here, and, and he said, tell me about this, tell me about y'all's stance on, you know, the, the doctrine of, of the security of the believer. You know, and so we began to talk to him about it. And, um, it's one of those things, guys, you think about it. People are, are there who make false professions, you know, who look like they're in God's favor. But along the way, they say, I don't want to follow that anymore. I want something different. And they prove, they prove that they were never really saved. And so, guys, you think about that. God's wisdom will keep you in the land of God's favor. You'll not be cut off. And there are passages of Scripture clearly that say, you know, You'll be blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life or things like that, you know. So we've got to take this seriously, that we'll not be dragged away, that our, that our faith will not be made a shipwreck of. God's wisdom will keep us in the land of God's favor, all right? Now, keep in mind that being a leader is one of the hardest things you'll ever try to do. Why is that? Why is being a leader perhaps the, the hardest thing you'll ever do? Why is that? It's because... There's often opposition. So right now, think about the people that you're trying to influence. Think about the opposition that's coming at you. Whether it be your children, whether it be your coworkers, whether it be your, your direct reports at work because you're the, you're the supervisor or leader, uh, whether it be your, your spouse or, or just whoever it is, whatever your circles of influence are. What opposition are you facing in the home? What opposition are you facing at work? What opposition are you facing in the community? 
And here's the truth of the matter. It is really tempting to say, just forget it. I'm done with it. But that's not what good leaders do. You're going to be tempted to compromise. But good leaders are confident that God's wisdom will benefit and protect them. And so what do they do? They continue to walk in it. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. And no matter how big the opposition gets, we follow God. Because we know that He'll never lead us astray. And we know that we will be protected in that. And so tonight, guys, we kind of wrap up right here. Here's my final prayer for us and for you, for me. And here it is. May you be a better leader because you're a great follower of God. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.